Is it a coincidence that they're both about time travel? I think it's interesting that in both stories, mm. the Doctor is without the TARDIS, mm. and yet there's time travel going on. Because, mm. you know, ordinarily, well, obviously, it's the TARDIS that's, that's transporting him through time, and yet in in uh, in day it's it's the rebel with their time machine and in uh, blink it's the angels mm. travel without tardis yes mm. that's an interesting point also in day of the daleks he's got the console out again hasn't he <laughs> he does seem to like doing that yeah but he had it he he had it out and yes. he had the console out <laughs> yes um <laughs> somehow got it back in again Somehow got it back in again. Despite the fact it won't fit through. I mean, the you're okay with it the first time because you think, well, he do it, you know, in bits. Bit by bit. Bit by bit. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But then. Despite the fact that he opens up the Eye of Harmony. Anyway, sorry, go on. But then it goes back in for uh, Colony in Space. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And then he sort of moves the whole thing out so he can take mm. a screwdriver to the old uh, dematerialization circuit. Hmm. He's obviously got a lot... There's a missing season here somewhere, isn't there? <laughs> season 8.5. Yeah. Yeah. Because it must have taken we him ages. We should get We should get Terence Dix to write it. should get Paul Morris to write it. Oh, yes. Hello and welcome to Something Who. We have a special podcast guest, the author and DWM columnist, Jack Rayner. Missing episodes was just one of those things that just held so much fascination for me. I love history. If anyone's listened to any of my Big Finish or read any of my books, you, you know, I do go into history a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's always been the appeal of, you know, delving into things to try and find out solutions to mysteries and once I started to hear about Doctor Who missing episodes it's just oh god I so want to know what they were about and the Mm. thing about Mission to the Unknown is of course it's one of only three stories that we have absolutely no footage of whatsoever Mm -hmm. but we have these photos which are just these strange monstery things and that's another thing that I just so love about 60s Doctor Who, particularly the Hartnell era, it's got this sort of innocence alongside huge imagination. They just create these creatures of the future. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to know more about them. So I couldn't tell you at what point it turned from, you know, just a sort of, oh, I've seen a few pictures of these things. I think it was probably not not until we sort of got into the 1990s mm. that I started to f- to figure out um, that there were things that we had no record of, things that we just didn't know at all. You sort of think, well, we've got the scripts for everything, we've got the soundtracks for everything, so pretty much we must know everything, and we really, really don't. Mm. And there was a point where Doctor Who magazine printed a picture of Salation, 
the yeah. um, second salation or potentially third salation. Um, and I was, that was just so exciting. It was so exciting. If Mission to the Unknown had existed all these years, as in, you know, we had a viewing copy, I think I would have probably counted it as a favourite, I would imagine, because as I say, I have a bit of a thing about these Hartnell monsters and the whole future as seen through the prism of uh, 1960s television. You know, I still adore the Ark and various other ones which exist, um, you know, Chase, all sorts which have things in them, and I still absolutely love them. And I think that Mission to the Unknown would have ranked alongside them yeah. But I think possibly wouldn't be quite so really, really deeply into it if it wasn't for the mystery aspect. I mean, probably my absolute tiny favourite moment um, in the recreation was Central, otherwise Mr. Christmas Tree. Yeah. <laughs> There's bits where they're just lines given to a planetarian, so we don't know exactly who says which little bit but they yeah he has this line in the new one and he does a little nod of his head when he's talking Mm -hmm. i'm thinking oh wow i wonder if that's what it was like when central was talking did he sort of wobble his head up and down you know (laughs) like that and and, uh, you know it's a question i hadn't fully asked myself Hmm. and possibly no one else in the world had asked themselves that question but yes, I did. I just, I did love it. I absolutely loved it. Mark Corey, uh, the actor, I think his name's Marco. Yeah. Um, oh, he was brilliant. <laughs> he was so brilliant. There is the little making of video that's been yes. put up on YouTube as well. And that was absolutely lovely. But I would have liked it to have been about 17 times longer. <laughs> yeah. I watched the recreation yeah. and played the soundtrack of the original so I could right, yes. see the differences. And the human actors, wow. Mm. You know, they just did not absolute copies of, but they just had the voices so right. They didn't mm. go into 60s parody, mm. which it would be very easy to do, you know, the BBC RP type yes. thing. But they didn't. I mean, the, when I watched watched it for the first time, I actually spent the first couple of minutes thinking, hang on, are they actually lip syncing to the <laughs> soundtrack? You know, it was that close. Yes. But yeah, I would have really liked to have seen a, a really, really, really long making of showing, you know, ha- how they decided how to make the costumes. Yeah. So has this has this whetted your appetite maybe for for seeing more of um, a Dalek's master plan if ever that were feasible? Oh gosh, yes, absolutely. Although how they would make um, decisions there yeah. on what to do, I I really don't know. But yeah, I mean, wouldn't that be wouldn't that be such fun? That yeah. would just be because uh, oh. they 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 changed just about every time they appeared, didn't they? The aliens, something like that. They they did. Yes, and it's very contentious and confusing as to who's who. We have things on paperwork, um, and then we have things which are on screen, and you've got 
Oh, uh, the duvet-headed guy in Mission to the Unknown, mm-hmm. who in the remake had a little moustache, which was um, which was quite a fun touch. Yeah. Uh, and he never appears again, uh, as far as we know, uh, in Dalek Master Plan. But he is in the paperwork. Uh, I think it's the either costume or makeup. He is listed as Trantis. Right. When you get to Dalek Master Plan, you have a character played by Roy Evans called Trantis. Yeah. But he looks like the guy from Mission to the Unknown who's got the spikes on his face, yeah. but he doesn't have the spikes on his face. So you would imagine that they were supposed to be the same person, but they've changed names. It's almost impossible to describe uh, really without dying yourself up in complete knots. But yes, for almost every appearance from mission to early master plan to middle master plan, delegates have changed appearance or changed names. New ones have appeared who may have the same names as earlier ones. You've got your Christmas tree, which we're almost certain uh, goes with the name Centriol, except mm-hmm. that name is never on screen. <laughs> so, you know, and, and not written in the dialogue. We just happen to know that in the script, it, it lists, you know, the names of them. And that's one. And by process of elimination, that's the Christmas tree. Um, he never appears again. So, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think it, it's sort of the Daleks' fault, really. You know, they invited all these people <laughs> to insist on photo IDs. So, you know, anyone <laughs> no, turned No oh, name tags, no, no, no nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you just say the word delegates and, and I just <laughs> go off on one for 20 minutes. This is, this is absolute gold. <laughs> With episode two, uh, Day of Armageddon coming back. That overturned everything. Yeah. Because up to that point, I think people thought, you know, the Christmas tree was in Dalek Master Plan. We suddenly discover he isn't. Mm. Therefore, we rearrange the names and figure out that, oh, he's Centriel because he's the one that doesn't appear later. And, you know, things like that. There was, they showed a clip on, I think, the six o'clock news with Mavic Chen. And then it comes to about half a second of Zephon coming down a slope. Oh, yes. It was like, oh, my God, that was a delicate mess. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we sort of knew what Zephon looked like because we've got that one shot of him menacing Mavic Chen. Yeah. But this was him moving and with clothes on and you know, all this <laughs> stuff. So, you know, they sh- the, the news... They focused on the Daleks and, you know, we knew what the Daleks looked like. <laughs> yeah. um, and we had to wait to see the delegates. And, yeah, I think the first thing was possibly BBC Online putting it up as a photo book. And you suddenly saw all these, myself and all the many other delegate scholars in Doctor Who fandom, <laughs> suddenly realised we had to tear up most of our research. But, yeah, that was amazing. That really was um, of all episodes uh, to come back, that is very possibly the one that gave us so much new information. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, just so exciting. So exciting. I'm yeah. still excited now. <laughs> well, you've only had 15 years, so it's, it's perfectly understandable. Exactly. Um, yeah. 
Well, look, I mean, you've you've been fantastic, and and you've you've stayed uh, longer than, than than I dared hope. So so thanks for all of that. I'm I'm sorry, actually. It it really is just if people mentioned delegates to me, I just run on, and you'll probably find that most of this isn't usable. So just you know, chop out tiny little bits that that are okay, and uh, yeah, <laughs> don't worry. I find it extraordinarily unlikely that people wouldn't want to listen to information about delegates for hours on end. So, uh, well, you uh, have a point there, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most, yeah. most sensible people would like that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, hello, Paul. Hi, hi. Uh, Richard's just stepped out. How, how's that cold of yours? <clears throat> oh, I feel like death warmed up to him. Uh, how's the laryngitis? Well, mustn't grumble. I'm a bit gargly. Ah, that, R- Richard's here. Um, <clears throat> With the arrival of our ally, Paul, we are enough. The meeting can now begin. No, it can't. What's wrong? There is a hostile presence among us. What do you mean? On arrival here, I am told that there is unknown person among us. Not among us. Then here on the podcast, something who? Oh, oh, you mean Jack. Look, we had a chat earlier, and it will appear on the podcast, but, but don't worry, it's just us here now. Uh, suppose she sends a message through this podcast. It, it's already recorded. It can't stop our plans to conquer the galaxy, okay? Agreed. Agreed. All are agreed. It is done. Three great powers of podcasting are one. This is indeed an historic moment in the history of this podcast. We too from Something Who, joining with the power behind Doctor Who and the podcasters, Tim! The three of us represent the greatest podcast force ever assembled. Well, since that Terence Dix episode, anyway. Conquest is assured. USA, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. They will all fall before our might, but the first of them will be the United Kingdom! So, today we have a very exciting development for Something Who. After releasing the last podcast episode about Mission to the Unknown, we were contacted by none other than the driving force behind the University of Central Lancashire's creation, Andrew Ireland. And even better than that, Andrew agreed to talk to us about the project and answer a few questions and perhaps go some way towards that much longer making of feature that Jack was craving. Hello, Andrew. Hi, my pleasure. I've always been a fan of Doctor Who, and it's kind of always been there in my peripheral vision, if you like, as I've gone through my career. I mean, I went to university at a time when, in 1993, when there wasn't any Doctor Who on TV. Yeah. And uh, it was always my dream to work on the show. I wanted to be a director. I wanted to direct drama in Mm. the BBC. And that was purely driven by reading Doctor Who magazine for a long, long time, which fueled my interest in how TV was made. And so... Uh, I went to university, I studied media production, um, Uh and then I graduated and I worked for ITV for a while. And then I kind of, you know, did a slightly sideways move into higher education. And during that time, Doctor Who came back uh, 
Yeah, in fact, someone I taught when I was at Bournemouth University went on to direct one of the episodes. Uh, Richard Senior, his name was, who directed uh, Let's Kill Hitler. Oh, fantastic. Um, so I was very envious of him at that point. I always but I've always looked for opportunities to uh, do do things at work which relate to the creative industries and TV production, which is my sort of my key sort of anchor and subject and the thing that I really love. And in the middle of all that is Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. So um, my PhD was a, a recreation experiment of its own, um, remaking half of Tooth and Claw from oh, 2006. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah so I, re- I made that within a simulation of the 1960s production environment to <laughs> test the whole, you know, people always say the studio bound era of the 1960s is, is a really sort of negative and constraining thing, but I was trying to demonstrate in those days, Doctor Who mm. told much bigger, broader, more expansive stories than they managed these days with all the technology advances and the, you know, shooting on location. All those things sort of limit storytelling. Mm. So um, I was keen to explore that in a very practical way by doing some production work. And that, mm. in a way, led on to the idea of using that, that same kind of simulation of a 1960s production environment. It was like a natural next step. So... Mission to the Unknown, I, I, I suppose that you, you've picked that because it's it's easier to recreate without having any of the well-known actors in it. Yeah, I guess that sort of dodges that minor field in terms of a pilot. I, I wanted to look at it as a pilot. Mm-hmm. Let's do this, see how well it sort of lands with the BBC and with audiences, like the fans. I always wanted to see if it could be something which would you know, set the scene for us doing more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm fascinated by you know the missing episodes are fascinating. Yeah, they're little gems which are sort of missing, and occasionally one comes back. And I always remember when Tomb of the Cybermen came back, and it was yeah amazing. And Web of Fear more recently was again amazing. And but you know rather cruelly these things are missing from the archives, and anything we can do to kind of breathe new life into them is really good. And, and the animations do that. Yes. But while I always appreciated the animations for what they were, mm-hmm. the fact that they used the original soundtracks, which obviously is a big bonus, because like 50% of, of their recreation is the actual episode itself, the soundtrack. Yeah. Because it animated, they kind of lack the sort of authentic recreation of what the original set out to do. Yeah. Because they weren't written to be animated, they were written to be performed by actors on, in a set and so uh, i just think exploring different techniques to bring bring these things back to life helps sort of point us in new directions for the future to see what's possible we wouldn't have done the project at all without permission from the bbc and yeah. the termination of states i mean yeah. for me that was absolutely absolutely critical because you know uh, this is not like a little sort of fan project you know on the side you know this is this is me and colleagues and resources at the university and student learning and so on um, around a particular project. And so we've got to make sure, you know, that it's A1 professional mm-hmm. in everything we do. And part of that is having the permission to do it in the first place. So the first step was to talk to the BBC, who were very happy to support it, and also the Terranation Estate who are very happy to support it. And really, they're all happy to support it because I said from the very word go that this was an educational project. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about the student experience, the heart of it, and also graduates and staff working together. 
but it was not going to be released commercially mm-hmm. by us and um, it would be for internal use only we wouldn't release it publicly mm-hmm. and they agreed to all that yeah now the bbc then suggested that you know uh, there may be a possibility of depending how it goes and so on they may want to look at the possibility in the future of some kind of release in mm-hmm. some way shape or form of course i sort of jumped on that as well that would be brilliant so but that possibility was always going to be after the end of our project so our project yeah. ends with us making it Mm-hmm. and delivering it, I suppose, to the BBC as a, as almost like the client. I mean, that's the end of our project. And anything else that happened after that would be, you know, a wonderful bonus. So I kept it very much as a separate thing. But because yeah. that possibility was there, we made sure that um, all the contributors completed, not just our UCLAN contributor release forms, but they also completed all the paperwork required by the BBC. Right just because it's much simpler to do that while everyone's there doing it. Yeah, sure. Um, and to try to get everyone to sign things afterwards. Mm-hmm. So we left it open for that possibility. Uh, and then really the, the BBC were the ones who then wanted, well, they, they were impressed by it, by what had been produced, and they, they wanted to see how they could um, do something with it. So it took a bit of time, but eventually it was passed to Russell Minton and uh, Luke Spillane. Right. Um, BBC online team who are here overseas, like the, um, the YouTube channel and so on. Right. And they came up with this plan, hmm. which was lovely and great. And I, I love the fact it's released on YouTube because it means it's just immediately available. Yes. Um, yes. Everywhere to everyone. Yeah. And, and I, I think that that experience also of, of everyone getting to see it at the same time was, was very special as well. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, I found it absolutely terrifying. I mean, <laughs> the thing is, I've been sort of building up to it for like months, months yeah. and months. Um, yeah. uh, total secrecy, you know, of this whole thing. And and then suddenly, you know, you go from total clampdown to sudden worldwide exposure. Mm. And I came back from work, you know, slightly early that day. And my wife and I sat mm. with a bottle of Prosecco <laughs> with the computer you know on on youtube watching like three thousand people or something live watching this thing and this flurry of live comments flashing past and i diligently tried to sort of write a few comments into this stream but it was very difficult because there's so many of these comments flashing past so quickly but it was it was crazy it was amazing but it was crazy and Mm. you know you feel quite nervous about it because there's you suddenly feel quite exposed when you create something Yes, and it's suddenly out there, and Doctor Who fans are lovely and brilliant, but they are also, as we know, quite opinionated, and they'll certainly yeah. say they don't like something. And so I was quite anxious about how it would be received and how it would then impact on everyone who was involved in making all of it. Yeah, like the actors on screen who got—they're the ones sort of carrying the whole story. Hmm. But luckily, you know, all the comments have been very supportive. Yes, I, I think perhaps so. You, you you tantalized us with the idea that this could be a pilot. So um, did it did it did it whet your enthusiasm for maybe um, pursuing that a bit further? Yes, I mean um, I very much approached it like it was a bit of a pilot. It wasn't easy. I mean, it's, it's a very complex project to do yeah. when it's not your full time. I, mean, I you know I've got um, quite a wide ranging brief across the university in my mm. room. So doing this as part of that and bringing along 
other staff and graduates and students who are also doing other things to mm. focus on this sort of like help get it to a point where you know it's it's something we're happy with and you know we can send it off to the bbc as a pilot um mm. you know that took a lot hard work basically and and a lot of energy mm. but would we do it again well of course we would would i like someone else to do it no <laughs> <laughs> cool i yeah. like to stick our little flag in the ground here and say yeah well this yeah this is our little space thanks because we've earned it you know yeah. and if we could do something else as a few, as another pilot you know because mm. the next stage of that sort of pilot approach is doing something which has the regular cast through new actors mm. that's another thing which we could do and it's the bbc are, i think are delighted with the reception mm. this has got so hopefully it, it would lead to something else mm. we're all waiting to hear yes i'm trying to think uh, in my head of, of whether there's a there's a four-part story where there are you, you know aren't so many sets and 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 so you wouldn't have a massive amount of creation well, i'm sure you've I'm sure you've uh, you've pondered that yourself on on uh, many occasions yeah, there's lots of different next steps you could take. You could just pick one episode. You could you could do a handful of scenes from across a range of different episodes. Yeah. You could pick a whole story. Hmm. The ones that come to mind though are quite long and complex, like yeah. you know, Jonathan Masterplan, Marco Polo, those sorts of things. Yes, golly. Or you make shortened versions of episodes, which I also think is quite interesting as a new way of bringing these things to life you know mm. like abridged versions and i quite like the idea of an abridged version of a dalek master plan where each episode is maybe seven or eight minutes long mm-hmm. so you make 12 of them but they're shorter perfect for like the youtube generation yes. if you like yes and yes. you could even work with the original story editor to look at original scripts and choose how you would create like a seven or eight minute version of them Hmm. So it's essentially like a one-third scale version. I mean, or you could just try to remake the whole of the Dalek Master Plan at the full length. And you could do it. You could create the scenario where you're making one episode a week because that's how they did it originally. Hmm. And really, you could make it in three months because that's what they did in those days. But it would take a lot of logistical planning to create the right environment and infrastructure to do that um, and you wouldn't be but, doing much else for that year I'd have thought well, <laughs> absolutely yeah. so there's lots of interesting things to think about about all, the, all of those different options but they, they all mean that we are dabbling and playing mm. and doing things with that whole Doctor Who universe and those scripts and those missing episodes and I think it's all valid just like the animations are it's all they're all different mm. they're all different parts of the same universe and they all help us to kind of appreciate you know this amazing tv show in new ways sure an undercover operation is it richard I mean, I hardly expected to find you on another podcast. Huh? There you are. You're something who studio, is it? it? It's serviceable. Quite. Do go in. Now then, what's all this about something who? Richard, I need your help. 
I've lost the Grumpcast. I don't know what the Grumpcast is. I've already told you. And you don't remember me? Certainly not, but whoever you are, I can't let you wander around blabbing about classified something-who operations. Oh, there's much more at stake than a breach of security. I've lost the Grumpcast, you've lost your memory. I'd be very surprised if the two events weren't connected. Let me tell you, sir, that I'm in full possession of all my faculties. After all, if I was suffering from amnesia, I'd be the first to know about it, wouldn't I? Hmm. By the way, how's Simon these days? Oh, oh, left the podcast in 19. Sells second-hand cars somewhere. And Giles? Seconded to TV. Last heard of doing something very hush-hush at the BBC. Do you ever see anything of Paul? What? Paul. From Something Who and the Grumpcast. Paul? Mike, you'll remember, of course. Mike? Are you alright? Someone just walked over my grave. Perhaps it was Phil Morris. Phil Morris? Or even the Facebook Missing Episodes discussion group. Richard Alistair Gordon Lethbridge Grumpcast. Morris has been training hard, as Venezis mentioned, a bicycling journey from Cyprus to Hong Kong. He also said that Morris has a voracious appetite. I don't want to make this sound like there are lots and lots of missing tins that I know about, but we're talking about one or two. <laughs> Found in um, Sierra Leone. <laughs> that noise you made, was that the Sierra Leone klaxon? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, right, I was just checking you weren't summoning Vikings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, mean, I, do have, I do have Viking heritage, uh, I think. I don't think we're as far as summoning your Viking ancestors yet. Hey, hey, calm down, calm down. Calm down, calm down. Hey, calm down. Hey, calm down, calm down. Hey, Toby. Hey, calm down. Well, bless my soul. So you're podcasting again, Tim. We're going to be discussing two stories, one from the classic series and one from the new, which have a linking theme. And to start us off, it's The Macra Terror from Season 4, recently released in animated form, and Gridlock from Series 3. Giles. Yes? Can I put you on the spot and ask you to talk us through the allegory? Oh, good Lord. Because I like to to hear clever people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, obviously, you know, one thing it has in common with with Macra is that both things are kind of stories about societies in denial. In their own way, and we have you know, yeah. this whole thing, yes, with the um, the girl who goes and buys drugs so she forgets her family at the stars and everything like that. The gridlock of the of the motorway is is obviously a, I guess, is an existential metaphor for for life itself, you know, which obviously mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of people and there's the, there's the line about the fact that they might travel ten miles in six years. And at that point, I just wrote down the absurdity of that is absolutely the point of this entire story, that it's... Um, that it's... it's like driving central London, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yes, you're talking to someone who's just passed yeah. his driving oh, tests. So. Quite. On, on that very simple level, it's satirical, as mm. in, wow, this is only slightly sillier than the things we actually put ourselves through. Mm. But yes, as Giles is saying, it's also slightly more to it. Everyone ascending to heaven at the end. Yeah, from, yes. They're either, they're either, are they returning yes. from hell to the real world? Mm. Are they returning from the real world? Are they ascending from the real world into well, there's the whole, something? There's, I know, that's the thing. It's too, I think it's too smart to, to um, you know, it's, it's one of those... Oh, it's, it's it's one, to tie itself down to one specific yes, thing. It's not, yes, is it? it's, exactly. I think, I think 
RTD, we know he's you know he's an avowed atheist and so on, but I think he's not not a, yeah. not a person of faith. But he's but he's nevertheless interested enough and respectful enough, I think, of it hmm. to not absolutely hammer, hammer anyone over the head with a particular message about. A lot about of great it. atheist writers are write like, like writing about hmm. faith and people well, mm-hmm. because they, if you're yes. if you're a humanist, if you're a humanist and you're interested in people, hmm. then you're interested in why people believe hmm. things. Yes. Or, you're interested in people who aren't like you mm. if you're a good writer, yeah. not just people who are like mm. you. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it is an interesting point, that, with, with, the, with, with the faith thing. I mean, so at the very least, I guess, what he's saying is that faith is important in that context, in the middle of the story, to, you know, to giving people a, a sense of, why should I keep going with mm. this? We keep on driving till the um, journey's end. Mm. Yeah. But but you feel that it's a bit more than that. I mean, I mean, it could be the you know the happy clappy worky song from Macra mm. in that place if it was just that. And you get the sense that uh, you know this the, the 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 old rugged cross is a sort of nonconformist hymn. It's probably something from maybe a a Welsh chapel that that RTD's heard in his youth uh, that that kind of struck a chord. And and while I mean, it, to some extent, it's actually the core of the Christian faith. Uh, Mm. The, the the cross and the symbol of forgiveness and and, and restoration. Nonetheless, it, it, you know, it, it'll be something perhaps from his childhood that, that he remembers as being perhaps either a, a happy place or or, or 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 something where he saw at least that people were taking um, strength and comfort from. I think you know us so well, Doctor. We are not abandoned, not while we have each other. This is for all of you out there on the roads. We're so sorry. Drive safe. It's interesting. I watched the um, I watched it this time on um, out of out of sheer inertia. I actually I actually watched it on Netflix because I happened to have Netflix on, and I thought mm-hmm. oh, I need to watch this. And um, and I had subtitles on. And the um, and at the end of the old ragged cross bit, they um, they I think they described it as music <laughs> music fades into sh- schmaltzy crescendo. As um, wow. So it's you know the the bits where where. Um, where Murray Goals goes off, um, yes, goes kind of yeah. off off tune just to give it a um, just at the end after after the last line, and um, I thought yes, there is a there is a point there that in some ways this this thing is is a is being given to them as a as a pablum as it were, but on the other hand, and that seems to the timing of that is that it it jolts you know then jolts the doctor out of his inaction because that's the point at which he. Swings into action and decides he's going to go and rescue, you know, get down there yes. and rescue Martha. Yeah. And again, I think you know this is the thing that although it's in some ways there's a thing about delusion and you know, and you could say okay, and you know, the, the fact you can't, you know, no one's seen a policeman as it were for you know, for how how many years they've been stuck down there, twenty years or something mm. like that, apparently, and you know they 
they are phoning the police and um, and being put on hold, which I guess there's a there's a fair metaphor there and things like that, possibly. But on the other hand, the whole thing is redeemed by the the fact that the, the story absolutely hinges on Martha's faith in the Doctor, I think, yeah. and Bo and Hay, Bo, the face of Bo's and her, and novice Ames willingness to sacrifice themselves in some ways to um you know I mean the, the face of Bo literally sacrifices himself mm. yeah, yeah to save everyone yeah and you have you yeah. have this thing that the last thing that the mm. you know the city died of the drug the bliss drug in seven minutes flat and the last thing they did was to seal off the undercity and they they even say the people on the motorway mm. aren't lost they were saved hmm Yes, and yes, you have this thing, the face of Bo, and that's a very, you know, very obviously, you know, it's it's kind of it's up there with Aslan in terms of in terms of kind of Christian metaphors. Yeah, of, yeah. Um, you know that he dies to save to save the city. So you know, it's absolutely it's all about Martha's faith in the Doctor is what sees them through in the end. So so yes, in some ways you're you're being led to believe okay, the whole thing's the faith these people have is a delusion that's keeping them going through an existential grind but on the other hand you know it's it's redeemed in the end it's um, mm. as it as indeed is yeah mm. as indeed to some extent it's the doctor's own you know the fact the doctor's then rewarded with with the message from Bo at the end and obviously on another level which um oh, who is it there's a there's a brilliant essay out there i can't remember who wrote it but he pointed out of course that, you know that the the story also is about the doctor and and coming from where it was coming where it was in the series and that the Doctor's just picked up Martha somewhat on the rebound and is, is deliberately kind mm. of, you know, isn't telling, isn't revealing the truth to her. And it's, it is about the Doctor getting past, you know, it's, it, he's gridlocked in his own, mm. in his own way and kind of yeah, true. reaches the end and, you know, and, and is confronted about it and starts to yeah. move, yeah, true. move forward from the Rose thing, mm. really. <laughs> Ah, good. Do come in and sit down, Richard, will you? Was all that nonsense out there really necessary? Identity passes? Guards? I was even searched. Security. Rather amusing, don't you think? Uh, No, you don't. I have an important research programme going ahead in Yorkshire. Yes, I know. An expert in rhubarb, degrees in scones, brass bands and a dozen other subjects. Just the sort of all-rounder I've been looking for. How I feel doesn't matter. We need your help, Richard. I'm just not interested in podcasts. Really? Showing off, seeking fame, that sort of thing. We're not exactly famous here at Something Who. The podcast is a front for our real work. Then what do you do exactly? Uh, We discuss the odd, the unexplained. Anything on Doctor Who or even beyond. Alien invasions? Bases under siege? Ten tonnes of Twitter posts drift through cyberspace and land on our screens every day. And do no harm to anyone. Uh, Early this morning, a shower of about 50 tweets landed simultaneously on every mobile device in Essex. Landed? Most tweets don't even reach the screen. They usually burn up in the Twitter sphere. These didn't. These particular tweets came down through a funnel of thin, superheated rage about 20 bots in diameter for which no one has an explanation. There must be an explanation. A a natural one. I hope so. We didn't find one last time. Last time? 
Six months ago, a smaller shower of tweets, uh, about five or six, landed on the same screens. No, no, that's impossible. The odds against two batches of tweets landing in exactly the same place must be incredible. They are, Richard. They are. Figures from the Institute of Missing Episodes Singapore. Do you realise that in our section of the internet there are over 500 forums capable of supporting trolls? Why are we any more likely to be attacked now than during the last 50,000 years? In the last decade, we've been probing deeper and deeper into cyberspace. We're unable to keep any attention on what's happening around us, Richard. Aren't you being a bit alarmist? Since Something Who was formed, there have been two attempts to take over Doctor Who fandom. Really? We were lucky enough to be able to stop them. There was a policy decision not to inform the public. Do you seriously expect me to believe that? It's not my habit to tell lies, Richard. I'm sorry, but it is a fantastic story. We were very lucky on both occasions. We had help from a man with experience of other podcasts. Really? Who was this genius? Well, it's, it's all rather difficult to explain. We used to call him Simon. So for the next short while, we're going to discuss some of our memories and thoughts about uh, Terence Sticks, who was, among other things, script editor, script writer, playwright and author for Doctor Who. Um, and I'll start with a, a short anecdote of uh, how I spent a uh, holiday in the summer of 1976 in France. Um, I brought two books with me to read, uh, mm. which was, as, as it was to prove, was a little bit on the short side. But thankfully, I brought with me Genesis of the Daleks and Web of Fear, uh, both of them written by Terence Dix. Someone's going to say Doctor Who and The, but, you know... I was hoping you were going to say uh, The Web of Fear and Lady Chatterley's Lover or something. <laughs> <laughs> that, no. that, 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 that might have been a more entertaining holiday, but seeing yeah. a, as I was only eight years old at the time, uh, yeah. probably you know, my, my choice of literature was sound. Both of those books I read about four or five times on the holiday because it was, two, it was a fortnight's holiday and I was an avid reader at the time. But they're such fantastic stories, so well written by Terence Dix, that... I've got such rich memories, I guess, that Web of Fear in particular, I think, became the archetypal Doctor Who story in my mind. And But Genesis as well, which, I'd, of course, I had actually seen on, on TV the year before. Um, but somehow the, the, his retelling of it added something to it. So, yeah, that that's, I guess, one of my formative memories of, of uh, encountering Terran Sticks. One of you? Well, target books for me as well, in that his name was just all over them. And... I've mm. been thinking today about not necessarily a specific instance, but the involvement of the Target books growing up, and and you know, grandparents, my my nanny buying me uh, secondhand books from Bolton Library and trips mm. to Bolton Library to go and see the Target books in there, and I think I think it's that which has affected me. And looking at comments online, I think that's the comment that has most come out. You know. Um, not dramatically hyperbolic statements about him being the the guy who got a generation reading or taught mm. a generation to read, and for that reason, it's quite surprisingly impactful. Yeah, um, the passing. Yeah. Uh, what sort of age would you have been, Tim, when you started reading Terence's? Well, novels? Target books. Uh, I would have I would have had them and sort of put off reading them from any age. Four, five, six. I would have mm. had them. I wouldn't have been reading them and involved. And then perhaps in the later eighties, uh, or mid, uh, yeah, later eighties, I would have read, started reading the targets. Uh, in, in the end of my first year secondary school, we had to do a report 
for in the English class about the books we'd read that year. And <laughs> <laughs> me being a clever dick, I reeled off about thirty target titles. I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember which, whether they were Terence Dicks or not. But you know, a, a fair proportion of them would have been. <laughs> and my parents went to the the school evening, and came back, and said, "We want a word with you," <laughs> <laughs> because Mr. Winder, my my first year secondary school English teacher, who was of uh, classical uh, education, was telling my parents what a what an impressive and voracious reader I was because I've just reeled off trying to show off all these target books that I've uh, either read or had so that's I've been thinking about that sort of thing today. Oh, you, you got away with it did you I was about I was thinking I had a similar experience but I mine got, a, didn't I got away with it with 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 Mr. Winder we, we used mine to suspect he was drunk all the time but I didn't get away with it with my parents because they knew exactly what I was doing <laughs> <laughs> yes we had a yeah, I mean, my teacher didn't tell me I shouldn't be reading them because that's not really his purview. But we did have a... Uh, there was a badge you could get. He was trying to encourage reading, so he set up this uh, readership scheme. Mm-hmm. And he got a little badge, uh, enamel badge. Um, like a Blue Peter one. It was supposed to be that prized. It wasn't. <laughs> but anyway, you just, you know, you told... You handed in the list of books you'd read, and you got a, a point for each one, two points if, if it was an, a classic... And I, you know, I, I handed my list in. I'd read a lot of proper stuff, but then when it got to the half, the list was padded out with Doctor Who, and I, he, he grudgingly gave me half a point each for all of them, even Aww. though they were. I th- I'm still rankles to this day, <laughs> Mr. Rowan. If you're out there, you swine. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say uh, my first experience of Terence. I wasn't sure where to start. I mean, chronologically, it would have been watching Horror Fang Rock, but then there's a gap of a few years until I. Mm get reading the targets. Terence wasn't the very first one. I think I started with Doctor Who and the Daleks, which yeah. is probably because I knew the film so well and it would have leapt off the shelf at me. The mm. second one, rather randomly, I remember this day was State of Decay, and that was oh, right. because it's one of the few, I think, it came out so close, hard on the heels of the television version, that um, mm. it was still fresh in my mind, so I mm. went for that. I remember writing uh, stories about mysterious strangers called The Three Who Rule at school <laughs> after that. I was a I was a very original writer even then, bursting <laughs> with ideas of my own. But then, so Terence, yeah, was definitely the one who got me up to speed on reading the targets because they were so readable. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there is this sort of strange view that, you know, Spearhead is is brilliant and then you've got to cope with the rubber monsters in the Silurians but the problem with that is that you've got the rubber monster at the end of Spearhead as well so it doesn't fully work yeah yeah I guess it's part of that Mm. um, small number of Doctor Who stories that (laughs) back in the days when fans were obsessed with funny examples of the program that weren't embarrassing that they could show to ordinary people Mm. there's a small Mm. category of stories which are considered almost perfect classics and yet they there's not one that doesn't have something wrong with it, like Peg, <laughs> by the monster, oh, the monster in Kazanjani, the rat in yes. Talons. Mm. It's all, and the yeah. monster again in Spearhead. It's always the monster, isn't it? Really, <laughs> let's be honest. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And they're all Robert Holmes. How interesting. Mm. Mm, You'd think he'd have learnt not to write in these these monsters that you can't. <laughs> Actually, he tried with the caves, didn't he? Mm. And they, mm. I believe, the script had told him, or the producer mm. told him, he had to have one. I, t- I tell you what, let's let's have a chat about Spearhead, and we'll, we can talk about the circumstance in which we saw Rose when we start talking about Rose. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So who's got something erudite to start us off with on uh, Spearhead? Okay, everyone else paused for slightly too long. I just mentioned Robert Holmes, so there's, there's the first thing I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah. Why mm -hmm. on earth, right, both from the perspective of a viewer and the behind-the-scenes perspective, why was he chosen for this story? Who, no, nobody could have been particularly impressed by the Crotons and the Space Pirates. So why choose him for this in, a season opener, setting up a whole yeah. new format for the programme, a whole new mm -hmm. look? Why yeah. would you think it's that's... Fun, it's, it's, it's funny because I wrote the same thing. I thought, I said, ooh, this will be good. It's by the guy who wrote the Protoss <laughs> and the Space Pirates. <laughs> I mean, I can assume perhaps he was cheap. With every successful story at that point, his fee was going down. Well, I've spruced up and polished the old podcast. Looks rather splendid, doesn't it? And it should all work fine once everything's run in. A podcast is more than a machine, it's, it's like a person. It needs coaxing, persuading, encouraging. I wonder where everyone else is. Let's have a look on the time-space visualiser. Oh look, it's Andrew Ireland walking around his university campus. Hang on. What's that big black obelisk thingy flying through the air towards him? Ah! A twinge of cosmic angst, as if I'd lost something. I'm sorry, you're not allowed in this podcast. Not allowed? Me? I'm allowed everywhere. Good heavens. Is it really you? Yes, yeah. For once, I was able to steer my schedule, and here I am. Not too late, am I? What for? Anniversary special. How do you know about that? I uh, read the reviews on Gallifrey Base. But we haven't recorded it yet. Next week's Gallifrey Base. Oh. What's this photo? Oh, you know, Jack. She was on the podcast while you were away. Uh, I'm a bit worried she might replace me. Ah, uh, yes. Well, my replacement was pretty unpromising. Spent most of the time talking about reading on the loo. Come along, Giles. Let's take a stroll round the grounds, shall we? Hmm. Yeah. You've uh, had this studio redecorated, haven't you? Don't like it. Macra. Autons. We've seen some times, Giles. And the Nymon. Don't forget the Nymon. As if I could. And the terrible Tadoon. The what? Uh, oh, yeah. You weren't concerned with them, were you? They happened in the future. Although it's now the past. They were uh, covered in spacesuits and stomped around like rhinos, going bomo slow fo 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 Oh dear. Paul? I think our past is catching up with us. Or maybe it's our future. Come on, run! No! Great chunks of my past detaching themselves like melting icebergs. Don't worry, I'll have it all worked out soon. Everything's all right. Everything's quite all right. Ah! Great balls of fire!
Good old Bessie. being diminished, whittled away piece by piece. A man is the sum of his memories, you know. A podcast host even more so. Ah, I have to find, to find my other podcasters. With something as simple as a podcast, nothing can go wrong. No coordinates, no dimensional stabilizers, nothing. Just the computer, some software, a trained voice and a decent microphone. Oh, hello. We've landed. According to Audacity, we're nowhere, in no time. Richard must have forgotten to reconnect something. No, the software's all working perfectly. It just won't tell us anything. Something who is paralysed! What do we do now? Look! (gasps) The Dark Tower! We're on Gallifrey! The podcast zone. What have we bought here? Instinct tells me it's time to record our Something Who anniversary special. Let's do it! So if we start with uh, Moonbase, so either of you want to talk to me either about your memories of, of, of Moonbase or, or anything you know pertinent you picked up this time? It'd been a little while since I'd watched it, and I was stunned by how good the Planet 55 animation is. You can tell when animation's good because it just seamlessly goes through the from the film version into animation and you don't notice the animation anymore. It's that good. The detailing on the, the Cybermen. Um, mm. They captured all the human faces fantastically well, including yeah. haircuts and things like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm, 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 I'm so sorry to all the people that made it, but I was scathing about the, the Macro Terror animation before, but high praise here to, to Planet 55 and, and the job they did. It was absolutely stunning. I don't mm. know how you found it, Charles. Yes, yeah, it's it's um, it's a good way of watching this one, I think. Um, perhaps because it's a... It's quite a high contrast story, anyway, I think, with the moon setting. And, um, and they've certainly done a very good job of kind of picking up on the kind of repeated shots and things that you do quite often get in this era of who as well i think you know that mm. you get certain certain things like the side man fiddling with his knobs on the, on, the, <laughs> yes. on the side of ship and so on and that's a bit of a recurring motif so they do their animated version of it as well mm. and i think because they go to that trouble of actually um it feels like one of these cases where they have gone to some trouble to kind of match the match the direction yes. of the of the existing of the existing episodes. The, what what really struck me was where episode two ended with surviving film and then mm-hmm. episode three starts the animation and almost seamlessly where the Cyberman jumps off the med bay bed, that <laughs> yes. rocks in the same way in the animation as it did in <laughs> it the did, film. And it? I thought that's that's excellent. Yeah, yeah. That's a nice touch, yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I mean I, I, I agree with you, Simon. I I, I think the um the animation is some of the most successful. I mean, I think 
you, know, you 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 could perhaps say about the Macro Terra animation and perhaps the the Power and Shada ones that preceded it that they're they're more stylistic. So 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 perhaps uh, they make more of a statement and they're and, and they're more you know of a thing in themselves. But I think what I, what what you're right in saying about this animation is it's totally unobtrusive. It really fits in with with the the, the film um, that we have from episodes two and four. Uh, it, it, um, and it, it feels like it's it, you know it's what would have been um, on the, on the episodes one and three if we could have had them. Mm. Probably probably sits very accurately with the telly snaps as well. Um, so yeah, it it, it 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 feels like they've they've gone out of their way to make the thing that's missing. And as you say, the likenesses are good. This is just after Matt has, uh, after the Doctor has had to, has had some line about, I kind of love you, Malachi. Yes. Yeah. This mm. vivisectionist Silurian scientist who has been, um. <laughs> just in case I haven't been critical enough about this story, that was the thing I hated most. Mm. That is just yeah. absolute nonsense. He mm. does the same yeah. thing in part one, which I did watch, uh, where he's babbling on about how beautiful. Alicia Keys is mm. his first comment is you are beautiful and uh, I just yes of course no I'm not saying that the doctor shouldn't see the beauty in all sentient creatures but he doesn't walk up to Mira Sial and say you're beautiful why is no. he so excited to see a Silurian again mm. yeah I, I just think it's um a bit it's, partial mm. he's the James Blunt of um yes he doesn't it does admittedly turn on a sixpence and immediately start turn cold on her mm. no pun intended so um so that seems mm. better but no in in part two yeah. that's just nonsense yeah so night of the doctor so where were you when you first came across this piece ah Giles, you had it spoiled for you by the bbc themselves no i didn't no? i think it popped up on gallifrey base suddenly was alive with chatter about it i think unfortunately i did somehow pick up yeah, that it was probably McGann. I don't yeah. think I don't think I leapt into it with a. Th- I don't think I got it spoiled by as many people did by by actually going to the website and yeah having it right in front of them. <laughs> I can't entirely remember now. I know I was at work because they did it during the day, which I believe was some sort of last minute panic, wasn't it? Because it was going to be leaked. Oh, was it? So then, oh, okay. Yes, then they took control of the situation by releasing it on their own time scale, right? And then and then leaking it themselves <laughs> in. <laughs> News reports minutes later. Classic, no, I, classic I BBC marketing. <laughs> I'm fairly sure by the time I saw it, I knew it was McGann because I'd foolishly read something, probably on Gallifrey Base. I did a very good deed that day. I um, emailed, once I'd watched it and enjoyed it and realised that the news was out and about everywhere, I emailed a friend, good friend of mine and told him, I sent him the link, the direct link to it, and said, watch this now before... Because <laughs> I know he logs onto the evening, mm. the uh, internet of an mm. evening. I said, watch this first before you do anything else on the internet. Mm. And it works. It may, meant he had a wonderful surprise. Yeah. And um, he's forever in my debt now. Mm. <laughs> Six years on, he still hasn't repaid yeah. me. I'm trying to think who it was. was um, someone of my acquaintance. I think it might have been Stuart, my old only connect teammate, or someone like that. But he claims bonus points with his other half by... By having clicked the screen while putting his hand over the bit that gave away mm-hmm. that it was Paul McGann, <laughs> so she was so she was able to watch it unspoiled. I can't remember now because it's so long ago. Whether there were any rumours that it was McGann, whether you know 
genuine leaks that occurred on the forums or anything. Can anyone remember? Remember? I, I'm so unconnected that I would never have come across that. But I did um, come across somebody saying, "Oh, look, there's this new thing with McGann in it." So, <laughs> so that kind of spoiled it in a way. But then. I, I don't know. Is, I mean, to some extent, you, you know, yes. So there would have been a visceral thrill, I suppose, of suddenly discovering that it was McGann, or mm-hmm. well, McGann was in something. But I wasn't wasn't ever aware that was even anything coming. So it wasn't like, oh, this right. thing that I knew that was coming as, you know, the surprise that McGann's in it has been spoiled. It was like I didn't know anything was coming, and then so then I learned that something with was coming with McGann in it, and then I watched it, and it was quite good. So I was that was okay. I think. Yeah, mm. it spoils it itself one minute yeah, in, didn't indeed. it? Probably mm. about a minute into a six minute <laughs> story. So mm. Well there not... were yes. I, I seem to remember there were rumours, but then it was a it was a wild, wild time and I think people were there were all sorts of speculations Goodness. about what what the other doctors would be involved in and is this around the time with the McGann the elephant sitting on the TARDIS room or Oh God. And do you remember that one? I think it might have been a year or two later. I have a feeling it was the Doctor's trainers who generally tend to be quite a good... It was, wasn't it? Anyway, let's get, let's get back yeah. on to the subject of these wonderful six minutes because the surprise, that initial surprise for one minute the first time you watch mm. it, is by far the least of its pleasures, mm. I think. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I was a significant Big Finish listener. I mean, significant only in the sense that I listened to a lot of it, not that I was in any way more important than anyone else. Uh, and <laughs> so I'd listened to... Those first two series with McGann in it before the the new series came back, when it was sort of taking the story forward, when we didn't know that there was going to be anything else. I mean, I, I got swept up in that definitely. So it was rather nice, I think, that uh, when this appeared, it was it was paying some tribute to to Charlie and the other big Finnish companions. Hmm. Mm. what a nice bonus. That was unique at the time, and I think it remains so. Perhaps it, perhaps it always will. There'll never be another opportunity or necessity to um, to do that sort of overlap. Well, there, I, I wouldn't have thought. Mm. It's that the peculiar circumstance of that gap, yes, that doctor-shaped hole that we have, which meant it was possible and and you a fun little thing to do for the fans mm. without any adverse side effects. Mm. And he was the absolute perfect age to be coming back at that point I mean he, and he was still recognisably the same guy from the TV movie I mean you know, clearly almost 20 years older but but it, but certainly looking much the same just a little bit older and he seemed to capture very quickly the performance that, that we might have expected of him and he yes, did I mean the only problem I have with it is that I want more mm. which mm. is a nice position to be in Goodness me, we easily had a whole episode of this. Now, I'm not going to get into... <laughs> yeah, you could have done, couldn't you? Easily. Yeah. Mm. It packs a lot into six minutes. Yes, yeah, well, I mean, McGann is a class a class act. You can rely on him to to carry it, and so I think the moment he turns up and is in charge, then even if you don't remember him from 90 minutes on screen or 60 minutes or whatever he got in 1997... Mm. Mm. You know, you can buy, you can buy that. Okay, this is the doctor, and he carries it off with conviction. The other nice thing from the spoilery point of view is that, of course, from a, again fan service, but um, no sooner have we got the doctor, but um, but they also throw Khan at us as well. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's another yeah, another nice surprise because obviously we revisited that later. So that was a nice nice little thing to throw in there as well. 
it's very interesting, isn't it? It's a perfect example of using continuity for a specific reason. Mm. Mm. That has a story reason to be there. He needs he needs to not be alone when he regenerates. He needs some outside commentator, mm. so he can't be literally alone because then there's no story. He can't be with a companion because we wouldn't know the companion. So it's um, the uh, sisterhood is a plot device there. Mm. Mm. But yes, good point. Yeah, they have to be someone who knows him, but it's nicely done because it's um, even at this point, however many years into new who we are, there's still something. It's still seems thrillingly old who doesn't it mm. we mm. don't get that sort of thing in the modern era chanting cloaked supernatural people mm. that just seems very, twi- very very old school yes but as much as you can in six minutes brought up to date i guess a couple of things that i wanted to say to the the listeners out there in podcast land so the first is I mean, we we genuinely would like to hear from you. I mean, we've mentioned it maybe a couple of times, and there hasn't been a lot of feedback. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so the sketch alluded to it. I mean, it does sometimes feel like we're talking to nobody other than ourselves, and and you know, for all we know, that's exactly what's happening. Um, although Podbean does bung up some numbers every now and then to suggest that in fact other people have been downloading it but you know of course they could have been downloading it and not listening or in fact it could just be an algorithm that produces vaguely plausible numbers to keep us reassured and keep churning it out (laughs) it's it's in their their interest the the, the money every month yeah Mm. (laughs) um so yeah, if if you are out there and you are in any way uh, enjoying it or even hating it, it would be it'd be nice to hear from you to you know to tell us what it is that that that, that you've indeed liked or not liked about it. Also, I think if if you are by some miracle enjoying it, and if you haven't actually switched off by now, um, it would also be great if you could tell other people about it. You know, insofar as as we're you know moderately relieved that the numbers aren't terrible, uh, it would be even more. Um, reassuring for us if if they were slightly better than they are. So yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, the more people that get to listen to it, the more we feel you know, enthusiastic to keep going with it, and and the more of this kind of garbage will continue to churn out. So, it, it, you know, it, 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 this has to like be it, the most diffident sales drive I've ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, it's the best you're going to get from me. My dad was a salesman, you know. You never would realise it from uh, from my efforts. 